the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Friends, the gospel that is the good news about Jesus that comes from God is our way out of the graveyard. That is Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Mike will bring you the first portion of a message he entitles Prayer and Purpose in the New Life today. That's Prayer and Purpose in the New Life. We appreciate you listening each and every week to Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Well, let's get underway with today's message that Pastor Mike entitles Prayer and Purpose in the New Life. That's Prayer and Purpose in the New Life. And here is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentanko. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are so grateful that we can actually consider Jesus the pioneer and forerunner of our faith and be saved by grace, a grace that's amazing, that meets our need in the midst of discouragement or even human weakness, whereby we discover and we know that we are yours, children of God. In Jesus' name, amen. According to the press, it was the nightmare before Christmas for a three-year-old boy who deserved a home and a hearth this holiday season. The story is outrageous, but it's true. You probably heard the story. It happened at the end of the awful year 2020. That's what they're calling 2020, the awful year, that will be gladly kicked behind us. And we did. We kicked it away as we moved into the hopefully better year of 2021 this New Year's. But this boy's ordeal at the very tail end of the awful year made international news. The little boy was left to die by his mother in a snowy graveyard two days before St. Nick usually shows up in his sleigh with a reindeer saying, ho, 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 according to our popular Christian mythology. Well, it was not a ho, ho, ho happy event for this little boy. It was a cruel joke that a monster kind of mom was playing on her son when she abandoned her son in a graveyard. Unbelievable. Paradoxically, the graveyard was called Hope Memorial Gardens Cemetery. I wonder if she put some thought into that thing. What a kind of an evil way to think. And it was there at the icy Hope Cemetery that the little boy's mother left him out in the cold with his dog, abandoned. Have you ever felt abandoned in life? Like someone just dropped you and you wanted to have a friendship with that person and you just felt isolated and alone? Have you ever felt that way with God, that maybe God has abandoned you? David, in his Psalms, writes at times that he felt like God had abandoned him. A witness saw a blue car that was most likely her car driving away from the cemetery as a cold and crying little boy was running behind the car with his dog in tow, waving at the car... And you can use your imagination to fill in the gaps as to what went through that little boy's mind, his experience, his emotions, as he was trying to chase down his mother to let him in the car and not leave him alone in the graveyard. 
Fortunately, another woman, another car, saw the pitiful scene. And as she drove with purpose to the abandoned boy, she decided to keep him safe, keep him warm, until the police could arrive. The abandoned boy only knew his first name, Tony. He was a three-year-old. Tony is my name, Tony. If you check the etymological dictionary, you will find that Tony, do we have any Tonys here today? Tony means priceless one. And he felt anything but priceless in the graveyard. Tony also knew his mommy and daddy's first names, but he didn't know their last name because he didn't know his last name. And with no last name for mommy or daddy, the task was hard for the investigators to close the gap and find them. Tony's picture was quickly put on Facebook, the local social media networks, and they began to search for his father and his mother, any family and the like. Find the parents of the boy who was left before Christmas, two days before Christmas, in the graveyard. His mother was the one who chose to drive away. His father had nothing to do with the crime at all. And before his father was found, Tony was temporarily placed in foster care, so he spent Christmas with other people. As Tony waited his ordeal out in foster care over Christmas, praying for his mommy and daddy to be found, the calls came in from every quarter, from all over the place. The social media thing worked, and people were sympathetic for Tony. One person named Jeremy Lowe of Wadsworth you know, I think of a wad, I think of a lot of money. Lowe may be humbled. Jeremy Lowe of Wadsworth, who himself had been placed in foster care before Christmas when he was a small child. He could relate to what Tony was going through in his own heart, his own experience and humility. He could sense the awful tragedy of Tony's childhood ordeal in the graveyard. Jeremy Lowe wrote this. He said, a little boy and his dog, Christmas time, you know, it's as heartless as it gets, really. You can't get worse than that. So Mr. Lowe decided to do something that would lift the spirits of Tony at Christmas. Mr. Lowe marshaled the local Facebook forum to ask for donations, toys, and anything else so Tony could have a real Christmas last year. In time, clothes, gifts, toys, and other treasures filled with the Hinkley Police Department, which Tony received as tokens of love, thoughtfulness from others. He walked into the room, and there was just all kinds of stuff in that room for Tony, who couldn't find his mom and dad at Christmas. Mr. Lowe offered this thought about the meaning of these wonderful gifts in light of Tony's sad challenge. Here's what he said. So that was the whole thought, you know. Maybe just take his mind off the previous bad experience from a day or two before. And I hope he's young enough that he doesn't carry this for the rest of his life. I mean, very, very kind man. Just before Christmas, Tony was placed in temporary foster care, as I said. Merry Christmas, Tony. It's 2021. Where is Daddy? His father was found, and Tony was then placed in the custody of his father, the best Christmas gift at all. His daddy came home. The police will release the name of Tony's mother once she is officially charged. Tony's full story is yet to be written. Friend, this year is a new year. How many of you are grateful it's a new year? That we're leaving the old and we're coming into this year. Actually, 2020 was last year. 2021 is this year. I'm grateful for the new year. Are you with me? And I'm sure little Tony's grateful, too. He can leave that awful Christmas nightmare behind him. And what makes it special for Tony is New Year's Day is the day that he found his father, that his father found him, that they were connected back together, and that somehow the frigid and cold nightmare of being left alone to die in a graveyard was put behind him because Daddy was with Tony. 
As I said, Tony's name means priceless one. The Bible teaches us that our God is the God of hosts. And every single being in the universe, every single sentient thinking, spiritual capacity being in the universe is a precious person to our Father God. When Jesus taught us to pray, he began his prayer with the phrase, Our Father, God is the God of hosts. He is the Father of all that is. And that means that every person who is sentient, every person who is alive on earth or in heaven or in the farthest, the most distant world in the universe is a precious child of God. But because of Adam and Eve's sin, here, every child of Adam was born in the cold on the wrong side of Eden's door. And in this life, we are all born in a graveyard, running behind the car of our hopes, calling out to God, Daddy, Daddy, don't leave me. It's cold. This is the graveyard. I want to be with you. Calling out to God to save us. We were born on the wrong side of Eden's door. In the book of Romans, the gospel, the good news. That's what the word gospel means. The good news of God saves us. In fact, the gospel is called the gospel of God in the book of Romans. It is the gospel about Jesus in Romans 1.3, who is God's son. But it is the gospel that comes from, that finds its source in the goodness, the heart, the love of God. The gospel means good news. Friends, the gospel that is the good news about Jesus that comes from God is our way out of the graveyard. It's our way back to God. It's our way to know God in our lives. Paul says the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes in Romans 1. The Greek word is dunamis, the dynamite power of God for everyone who believes. When you call out to God, friend, you are really hoping against hope to find a father who will rescue you from the graveyard. Some people think that only non-believers struggle in their lives. I've heard that. Well, before I was a Christian, I used to struggle. But praise the Lord, my life is so consistent now. Have you ever heard someone say that kind of thing? makes me sick usually because I don't really identify too much with that. I found that since I became a Christian, I became a target. I discovered that life got really difficult because now I was struggling with things I didn't care about before. My desire to follow God which wasn't there is suddenly here, but my proclivity to not follow God is still in my nature. I found a greater struggle after I became a Christian. I know from my own personal experience that a believer struggles. Maybe you know that also. Theologians have debated what time in Paul's life he is describing in Romans 7 when he talks about his awful struggle to obey. I mean, in fact, there's whole classes at the seminary digesting, is this the pre-converted Paul or the post-converted Paul? And some theologians have said that Paul's interaction with his own struggle in Romans 7 is the unconverted, pre-converted Paul before he found Christ because converted and spirit-filled people shouldn't struggle like this. Others have said it's Paul after he was converted when he wrote the book of Romans. I'm in that group. I think the latter view is right because the first view is raw and naive. It doesn't address the real, down-to-earth, bottom line that we experience after we are baptized. Grown-up Christians, growing Christians, have times in their lives when they struggle to obey. Am I telling the truth? Pastor Mike, why are you trying to undermine obedience? I'm not undermining obedience. I'm being honest about the fact that we tend to be disobedient in our lives. That's our nature. Are you there? Okay. I mean, this is the world that we live in. This is our nature. I'm being 
transparent with you. And in those times, we, like Paul, cry out for the power of the new life to save us from the graveyard. Who wants to live in the graveyard? Who wants to be under the control of the old nature? Not a converted Christian. Romans 7, verse 14. Look at Paul's description of his ordeal. We know that the law is spiritual. And he uses the present tense verb, but I am carnal sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. He says, I have some theological training. I know there's nothing wrong with the 10 commandments. Verse 17. So then it is no longer I that do it, but sin, which dwells within me. He says, I feel like I'm schizophrenic in a way. I'm divided. My mind is in two places. Verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells within me. That is my flesh. I can will what is right. But he says, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin which dwells within me. You can feel the pain in Paul as he's talking about what he's struggling with as the great apostle to reach the Gentiles. Look at verse 21. So I find it to be a law, a principle, a governing idea, law, that when I want to do right evil lies close at hand. Have you found that law in your life too? I find it to be the same law. Because of the verses that follow, we know that this is Paul as a converted Christian man who is struggling to obey. Now turn to verse 22. Paul says, for I delight in the law of God where? In my inmost self, my mind, some translations will say. Now you can't do that unless you have been born again. You can't have a mind that wants to follow God really from the heart unless the Holy Spirit is coming to your life. So we're not talking about a pre-converted Paul. Verse 22 will not allow that view. I delight in the law of God in my inmost self. But, (laughs) that but is the raw reality of what we face in our lives. But I see in my members, he means my body parts, my nature, my human emotional system, part of the psyche of what I am in my members, another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin, which dwells in my members. And then verse 24, here's the cry, wretched man that I was. Does Paul say that? What does he say? Wretched man that I am. He's not lying. He's not talking about his pre-converted state. He's saying, look, I am right now in a state where I struggle like this. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul here recognizes honestly that his body is in a graveyard state while his mind belongs to God. And his struggle between his mind that belongs to God and his flesh that obeys a different kind of law is painful for him as a Christian. Some people like the book of James. How many of you like the book of James? I like the book of James. I like Paul too. But sometimes people like James instead of Paul. And some people like Paul instead of James. And they think the two books are at odds with each other. So some people like the book of James better than Paul because of James' emphasis on the importance of obedience. Now I care about obedience. And I want to tell you something else. Paul cares about obedience. Paul declares that the purpose of the gospel is to bring about the obedience of faith in Romans 1.3. You can't talk about righteousness by faith unless you talk about obedience. It's not against obedience. It is for obedience. But the right kind of obedience. Paul calls it the obedience of faith. 
And he speaks about it in other places also in Romans, as well as in other places of his writings. Paul is being brutally honest here in Romans 7, as he admits that he struggles with the power of sin as a believer. We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. He says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, if you go to the book of James, you will not get any comfort there. You'll not find a way out of Paul's struggle in the book of James because James agrees with Paul. Look at James 3, verse 2. He says, For we all make what? We all make? Many mistakes. And if anyone makes no mistakes in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body also. James is saying, we all make mistakes. That sounds like from the South. Well, we all, you know, I used to say it like that before I came north and learned to take the words apart. We all. Now, James is agreeing with Paul when Paul says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. The word all for James includes James because James says we all. He doesn't say you all. Now, repeat it with me together because it's in your Bible. We all make mistakes. Would you say that with me? We all make mistakes. Boy, that's painful for some people to do. It's painful for me to say. It's good therapy, though, because it's true. We should admit that we all make mistakes. Based on James' statement, there's no such thing as a perfect person in the church. I hear people saying, well, you know, I've walked with the Lord for so many years and I'm pretty perfect now. Maybe they don't use the word perfect, but you get the idea they are because they act like they're so holy that you shouldn't hang around them. I don't know about you. I'm not in that club. I'm a person who's growing, but it wouldn't take long for me to slip away from Christ if Christ wasn't with me every moment of my day by faith. Just a fact. Peter said we put no confidence in the flesh. If we were to rely on ourselves, it wouldn't take long that we would slip away from Christ. So what do we share in common in the Christian life? Friend, we share the fact that we all make mistakes and not a single one of us is perfect. That's a baseline for us as Christians. I have met people who are pretty sure that they are perfect. I've mentioned those. And I've met some that will argue that unless you are perfect, you can't be saved at the time of the end. I don't find that in my Bible. I find the perfection that will hold us at the time of the end as Christ's perfection. And I find a group of people not willfully sinning at the time of the end, but who can never claim that they're perfect. For them, an acquired perfection, the the pharisaical mindset, saves them. Not Jesus, not his cross, not his perfection granted as a gift, but what they achieve in their lives. Now, suddenly the shift is away from Jesus, and it's on how good they can become to impress Jesus and others. I don't hear them talking very much about Romans 3.23, Romans 7, or James 3.2, or many fine statements in the book Steps to Christ, like in the book Consecration and various other statements in Christ Object Lessons, Desire of Ages. They don't agree with that stuff. 
Usually they talk about themselves and their pursuit of perfection without Jesus in their lives. In fact, I was once listening to a young person who had been inculcated with this nonsense, saying that our generation will vindicate the character of God at the time of the end so much so that we will be perfect enough to demonstrate that someone can obey at last. I go, my goodness, Jesus did that. That's why he said it is finished at the cross. That's why we got that great chapter in the Tsar of Ages. It is finished. Christ won the great controversy at the cross. He demonstrated the love of God. He lived a perfect life. Christ sat down at the right hand of God, according to Hebrews 1. I mean, if you're looking to yourself to do something better than Jesus, you are really an arrogant, proud kind of person. Paul spent most of his life in pursuit of this kind of perfection as a Pharisee. The rabbi said that when Torah, the law, is kept perfectly for one day, then the Messiah will come. And so they slaved away at trying to be perfect so the Messiah would come. It sounds like people I have heard in our own time. And the more they tried, the more they focused on their perfection, the meaner men they became. Paul was holding the coat of Stephen as they stoned Stephen to death, the man who sought to be perfect. It's possible in the Christian life to seek perfection And never find it because the pursuit for righteousness is not for Jesus, but for something else like pride, an achievement based on pride. Listen to Paul and hear him out on this matter. Look at Romans 10 verse 1. Paul is praying with purpose for his kinsmen, his Jewish brethren, to have a new life that is not focused in the letter of the law, but the person of Jesus, which brings what he called for the obedience of faith. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. Isn't that a loving prayer? How many times have you prayed for someone, Lord, help this person that I'm struggling with to be saved. Help this person who's giving me a hard time at work to be saved. Help my adversary in this part of my life to be saved. Verse 2, he says, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but it's not enlightened. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So he's talking about unconverted, proud people who look to be religious but really don't know God. And then Paul makes this amazing statement in verse 4. I'm reading from the Revised Standard Version. I don't like this translation. I'm going to show you a couple more. For Christ is the end of the law that everyone who has faith may be justified. That's not the best reading here. I'm going to go to the New American Standard and the New King James Version, which do better than mine, and which follow the best sense of the Greek in verse 4. All right, New American Standard, Romans 10, 4. For Christ is the end of the law, and you see this phrase, for righteousness to everyone who believes. Go to the New King James Version, very similar. For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. In Romans 7, 12, Paul says the law is holy, just, and good. So you can't go to Paul and find him taking shots at the law. Paul says there's nothing wrong with the law. But the law, even though it's holy, just, and good, the law, the written code, can't save you. That's what he says. The law was never made to save you. He's very clear on that too in Romans 3. The law is a moral standard. This he affirms for the universe and for us in his writings. Paul affirms that. The law can teach you what you are doing wrong, but the law cannot save you from the wrong you commit. So in the gospel of God, Jesus is the end of the law as a means of being saved 
or the end of the law for trying to get righteousness. Jesus is not the end of the law as a moral standard. There's a big difference. So if you are looking to the law to save you, your ability to keep the law, you're lost. That's what Paul's saying. That's not God's righteousness. So in the gospel of God, Jesus is the answer. That means the law stays as a moral standard, but it goes away as our attempt to be saved. It doesn't prove anything that we keep it better than last week or so on. So that means the law stays as a moral standard, but it is never our Savior. Let's ask ourselves the question. If you can't rely on the law to save you, and if you can't rely on the law for righteousness, then how can you be saved? Isn't that a good question? I mean, we teach our children, you need to obey, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's great. Who wants to have our kids marching the streets, burning down buildings, all that? We want obedient children in our culture. We should. But if you can't rely on the law to save you, if you can't rely on it for righteousness, where's the answer? We left off in Romans 7, 24, with Paul's question that comes in his present struggle as a believer, seeking to obey with a mind that wants to obey and a body that just gives him trouble obeying. That's his struggle as a Christian. Look at Romans 7, 24 again. Wretched man that I am, he says, I'm struggling. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul doesn't say what will deliver me because the law cannot deliver you. The law is a what? Even though it is holy, just, and good, the law can't deliver. He says that in Romans 7, 12. The, the law is holy, just, and good. Well, unfortunately, we've run completely out of time for the first portion of Pastor Mike's message entitled, Prayer and Purpose in the New Life. Remember, you can listen to these messages again at reachingyourheart.com. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.